the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country too. Sweet land of liberty of the Arctic. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. It's nine minutes after nine o'clock on this Friday, the 25th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm going to refrain from the Scream, Mr. Scream's free-for-all Friday promotion. We will have a free-for-all show today, really, uh, unlike any we've really ever had, because we have, well, they take that back. We are not guest-free. At 11.10 at the top of hour number three, we're going to talk to uh, Jonathan Petrea uh, about crime in uh, Cuyahoga County, and we're going to talk about well, how it is, how difficult it is to fight it when you have a rotating, revolving door of sheriffs, and that's a whole story for that time. But other than that, we're going to be guest free for the next two hours. Reason I'm refraining from the, uh, uh, from the, you know, fun and the goofiness of, uh, free for all Friday, though, is because today we are always right radio, but all is not right, uh, with our country. Our country is in a, in a crisis right now because we literally are facing, um, potentially the end of our republic as we have known it anyway. Um, when you can start booking and locking up and forcing posted bail and fingerprinting and mugshotting 
one of the two leading candidates for the presidency of the United States, when the Department of Justice can be so weaponized as to literally target the leading opposition candidate to take the power from the incumbent president, when they can be so weaponized as to again, try to prosecute and put that person behind bars to stop the challenge. Uh, all is not right with this country. Um, this is a very, very historic moment. Yesterday when Donald Trump uh, surrendered himself, despite his pledge, by the way, to never surrender, he had to do what he had to do here, an actual surrender to law enforcement authorities in Fulton County, Georgia, um, to be processed, to be booked, to be you know mugshot, uh, have his mugshot, mugshot taken, fingerprinted, and so forth. All of that going on one day after we just had a presidential debate. One month before another presidential debate in full election season for the leadership of the United States of America. This is what they did to the leader of the opposition party. Um, to say that this has dangerous consequences and that it sets precedents that are best not set is an understatement. What we are witnessing right now is a crisis of the republic. I've got a lot of analysis of this uh, from a lot of different sources and a lot of different places that I'm going to share with you. But I just want to let you know that no analysis is any more important than yours. Uh, and I will welcome your your thoughts on what happened yesterday uh, at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Um, this is difficult. This is difficult for for all of us to put into words that we can use on the radio. Quite frankly, because um, anger and rage kind of start to boil up a little bit inside people who are patriotic enough to care about whether or not this republic survives. Um, and it should. You have to measure it, and you have to temper it, I suppose, the best you can with um, uh, with strategic uh, analysis, as opposed to just letting rage run the show. Uh, but but in all seriousness, this is this is something where where if your anger and your blood isn't starting to heat up just a little bit, um, you, you you don't understand the seriousness of it. Yesterday, I talked with Professor Alan Dershowitz, who is uh, of course the one of the most respected legal minds in America, taught law at Harvard for 50 years. He's a leftist. He's a Democrat. Hates Donald Trump. Um, but is a strong advocate and, and supporter and lover of the Constitution. That's why he has done what he has done for law in 50-plus in years. You know, 50 years at Harvard, now as a professor emeritus, an author, and so forth. He made me aware of something I didn't even know about. The New York Times ran an article yesterday suggesting, and even headlined as such, that Professor Dershowitz actually had the physical headline because they went ahead once the blowback started and they changed it on their online edition, but he had the physical hard copy of the New York Times, and he showed it to me on the uh, on the air yesterday on uh, Sebastian Gorka's show because, of course, we do the uh, Salem News Channel at the same time, so we actually have video. And he showed it to me. And sure enough, the New York Times 
the the old gray lady, the paper of record, all of the different euphemisms for it. Um, the New York Times suggested that in defense of democracy, we need to end elections. You catch that? When I said at the very beginning a few moments ago that our 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 republic is in peril, I wasn't being over-the-top dramatic. There are suggestions in the most widely circulated paper in America. There is an article that was approved by the editors, knowing that that paper is going to reach either in print or online millions of sets of eyes, and influence the behavior and the thought processes of millions of Americans, it said, in defense of democracy, we should consider ending elections. And the purpose of that is to stop Donald Trump from becoming president again. If we can't be assured that Trump won't win one of them, then we have to stop holding them. That's their argument. They'll do anything, anything at all, to stop Donald Trump from taking over as president of the United States again. If that doesn't send a shiver up your spine, um, you, you, you might want to reconsider. You might want to think a little more deeply on it. You see, the people of this country are oftentimes very easily influenced by the press. The media, the mainstream media, the legacy media, the corporate media, there's all kinds of nicknames to describe it because, you know, we are media on radio, but that's not us. That's not what we're a part of. But that media, the legacy media, the left-wing media that we're talking about, has a very, very strong and influential, uh, holds influential sway over the, the mindset of millions of Americans in this country. And I guarantee you, every Democrat who has ever cast a vote opposite Donald Trump in the last two elections read that and said yes. And I guarantee you it's a topic of discussion in offices in Washington, D.C., where the rich men north of Richmond preside. Now, I'm not suggesting it's going to happen, of course, but the idea that it was promoted suggested and promoted by the New York Times, lets you know how far we have moved nearly across that Rubicon. We've already crossed the Rubicon in a, in a manner of speaking. That's well, a cliche for a lot of people uh, on a number of other issues, but this is, a, this is extraordinary. If they would go so far as to suspend the Constitution and the constitutional requirement that we hold elections to choose our leaders at both the executive and the uh, uh, legislative levels, if they were, would suggest that we suspend the Constitution, how far might they go in order to stop one man? Well, Professor Dershowitz yesterday said he fears that they would go to the ultimate lengths to stop him. Professor Dershowitz told me on the air yesterday, now mind you, this is not a supporter of Donald Trump, but a political opponent of Donald Trump. He's a Democrat. He does not believe in the conservative principles 
that you believe in and that I believe in. But even he is is astounded and terrified by the prospect of Donald Trump's life being in danger. That's not an exaggeration. He told me directly. And for evidence of that, I'm going to replay that conversation I had with Professor Dershowitz yesterday afternoon, uh, coming up here after the bottom of the hour at 9.35. He's not kidding. And I can understand why, as you'll hear as I discussed this with him, as you'll hear in the interview that I replay at 9.35, um, the TDS doesn't even begin to describe what some of these people have, TDS being Trump derangement syndrome. You know, it's a cute little moniker, and we like to say, oh, Trump drives them crazy, they're deranged. It's not just that. Honestly, it is so much more than just a cute little acronym. Um, Derangement barely touches on the depth of lunacy that these people have sunk into. It barely even touches it. As I said to the professor, if... Modern-day Americans, and and maybe even Germans and people around the world, had had a chance to take out Hitler before Hitler did what made him Hitler. Would you have done it? And and the chances are every single American who isn't a a rabid Nazi or neo-Nazi, every single European, everybody, everybody in the world, to stop Hitler from doing what he did that led to World War II? at least on the European side, yeah, they would have done it. Well, guess what? The radicals, the extremists, the lunatics on the American left, they think that's Trump. And they would see it as almost a badge of honor to be the guy that took out what they see in their warped, deranged minds as being another Hitler. Now, I asked Professor Dershowitz yesterday, to make that make sense for me, what has he done? What has he said that leads to such insanity? I mean, literally, we're talking about mental illness here, insanity in the clinical sense of the word, not just in the metaphorical sense, like you're crazy. No, their peace people are lunatics. These people are literally outside of their right minds. What would make them think that, what has he done that makes them think he is so extraordinarily dangerous that four years of Trump policies, which gave us what in the first three and a half years of his his, uh, term in office? It gave us energy independence, gave us secure border, it gave us uh, low prices next to zero inflation, gave us record low unemployment for, well, everybody but specifically for minorities and for women and for the handicapped or the disabled. I mean, all of those metrics that we've talked about for the last three years, we enjoyed for three and a half years, and I say that, of course, because the last year was a train wreck uh, because of COVID. But, But what exactly is it about those years that would make the left so freaked out? Um that they would consider something like this, ending elections in America to stop him from winning one, or outright taking him out, assassination style. What, what would lead them to this, you know, to this irrational fear? And the professor couldn't do it. I still can't quite get it. Listen, we hated 
Barack Obama's presidency every bit as much as the left hates the Trump presidency and the prospect of another Trump presidency. We despised everything that Barack Obama stood for as he tried to and, and, and would have succeeded, I think, by now had Hillary won that election had she not been st- stopped by Trump. In a 12-year run or a 16-year run of what Obama had started, would have been successful in fundamentally transforming this country into something unrecognizable. We despised Barack Obama. They tried to make it as though we despise Barack Obama because he's black or half black. And absolutely nothing to do with it. It was the fact that he was red, as in socialist, as in socialist on the way to communist red. That was all it was about. But never once, at least to my knowledge, I never read one headline that said, let's end uh, elections to stop him from being reelected. I never heard one conservative radio show or uh, conservative uh, uh, cable television host suggest that we end elections. And there was certainly no talk in any circles about taking out the president of the United States. None. Thank God. That's because we were analytical, but we were not insane. We were critical. We were not lunatics. We were concerned about the future of our country that we were gifted by the founding fathers and and presided over by our Constitution. We were very concerned about all of those things going away, but we were not maniacal. The left is all of those things. They are maniacal. They are uh, filled with, with, with irrational hatred that could drive them to places that, again, best not even discussed. But we have to discuss them. President Trump took his mugshot yesterday and decided it looks to me like he was just going to troll all of them because the minute it was taken, it was stamped on a mug and a T-shirt and a bumper sticker and everything else that they could put it on, and it was put for sale uh, on a Donald Trump website that says, Mugshot, uh, August 24th, 2023, Never Surrender, DonaldJTrump.com. Uh, he took a mugshot that basically says, you think I'm evil, you think I'm the danger, you think I'm the, the, the fear, the person you should fear. So he made himself look like it. And he'd put his head down, and he looked out of the top of his eyes, and he had a scowl on his face, and he said, here. And then he put it on Twitter. For the first time since he was banned by Twitter under the old Twitter ownership and leadership, Donald Trump has made his return to Twitter with that mugshot. And I'm glad, because I want everybody to see that picture, and I want everybody to understand exactly what it represents. When they booked him into a jail yesterday and then processed him and fingerprinted him and mugshotted him, they, they took a massive, massive step toward ending the United States as we know it. How many bananas does it take to make a banana republic? I would say four. You can count those four bananas in the four separate sets of indictments of the former president of the United States. There's a lot to chew on there. There's a lot to discuss. We're going to take a time out here. We are going to come back, and I'm going to share with you uh, the interview I did yesterday with Alan Dershowitz. Listen to the seriousness in his voice as he talks about literally uh, the threats against Donald Trump's life being uh, being made and uh, and being considered. 
because that is what these nut jobs will actually resort to if that's what it takes to stop this man from becoming president again. 927, this is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz and The Answer. Okay, it's uh, 934. Thanks for being with us on this Free For All Friday. As promised, I want you to listen to um, the conversation I had with uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz yesterday uh, when I hosted for Sebastian Gorka, which I will be on again today from 3 to 6, and I'm sure this conversation will continue. But but I want you to listen to the seriousness, seriousness with which uh, the professor discusses what is being done to Donald Trump right now and as an extension to this country. Um, this is some dangerous stuff. Listen. Well, welcome to the program now. One of the most uh, respected legal minds in American history, taught law at Harvard for 50 years now, Professor Emeritus. Uh, uh, he is active in litigation, writing in the defense of civil, civil, civil liberties and human rights. He's also the author of Get Trump. He doesn't like Donald Trump, but he sure likes the Constitution, and he doesn't like what's being done right now. Alan Dershowitz, Professor, good to have you back here on America First. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. You know, it's important to to recognize that before we talk about what is being done to Donald Trump. You're not a Trump supporter. You didn't vote for Donald Trump either time, did you? No, and I have a constitutional right to vote against them a third time, and I don't want that right taken away from me by Lawrence Tribe or Judge Ludic or any of the others who want to disqualify Trump under the 14th Amendment or any prosecutor who wants to prevent him from Uh, running for office by prosecuting him. I want the right to vote. You should have the right to vote for him. I should have the right to vote against him. That's the American way. Let the Americans decide. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about those trials in a moment and about these indictments and the prosecutions and so forth. But first, let's talk about something that I just became aware of shortly before I went on the air uh, this afternoon. And that is, a new, and I got this from your Twitter feed. People should follow you at Alan Dersh, D-E-R-S-H. Uh, a New York Times writer is urging uh, America to end elections, literally just cancel all elections if that's what it's going to take to stop Donald Trump. I see you've got the headline. You're holding it up right now for those watching on Salem uh, News Channel. Um, what, what on earth? I mean, this is in the New York Times. End elections? Are they that desperate? Well, they got so embarrassed about that headline to improve democracy, get rid of elections, that they changed the headline. Now you can't find that headline online, but I have a copy of it. The article is still the same. It basically says if we want public office to have integrity, we might be better off eliminating elections altogether. When I first saw it, I thought it was tongue in cheek or maybe it was just a thought experiment. But it's part and parcel of what the anti-Trump, what the get Trump people are trying to do. They're trying every possible way of taking the right to vote in the Trump election away from the voters. They're doing it through indicting him. They're doing it through trying to invoke the 14th Amendment, which was designed to prevent people who fought in the Civil War against the Union from running. They're doing everything possible. And that's why I worry so much about the safety of Donald Trump, because there are people out there who think they should go even a step further. And the ultimate form of censorship, as George Bernard Shaw once said, is assassination. I hope it never happens. I've lived through too many of them in my life. Uh, John Kennedy, I was working with Bobby Kennedy at the time he was assassinated, Martin Luther King. Let's take that completely off the table. But people have gone so far. People, I have to tell you, on Martha's Vineyard in Chilmark, 
if somebody assassinated Donald Trump, he'd be a hero. That person would be a hero. They think that he's Adolf Hitler. They think anybody who's been his lawyer like me is Heinrich Himmler. And they're so extreme that they're prepared to do anything. I've heard people say that. Anything. We can abolish the Constitution, abolish elections. Don't worry. We'll get them back. Just keep Donald Trump from becoming president. They don't trust the people. They don't trust elections. They don't trust due process. That's the new woke way of approaching life in America. We are talking with Professor Alan Dershowitz, Professor Emeritus at Harvard Law. Um, you read my mind because uh, just yesterday on this very program, Grant Stinchfield was hosting, and he brought up something Dan Bongino had brought it up as well, and that is there was a legitimate concern for the safety and the security of Donald Trump because of what you just said. The the really extremist radicals on the left view him as Hitler, and 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 it's yeah. something that's bandied about. If you had a chance to kill Hitler before Hitler could kill six million Jews, would you have done it? And people say, Yeah, of course I would. So so there, you know, I mean, I don't want to think like this either. But Professor, I mean, uh, I guarantee you, his secret security detail is thinking about that. I hope so. I hope so. And I hope he doesn't come to Chilmark where I think his life literally might be in danger. People are so extreme here. People are so extreme. They will not talk to anybody who has anything positive, not only to say about Donald Trump, but about his rights, his constitutional rights. When I wrote my book, Get Trump, it was banned from the library, from the bookstores. Uh, I couldn't speak about it in any public forums. The only place you can get that Trump is on Amazon. It was number one nonfiction bestseller on Amazon, and you couldn't get it in the local bookstores on Martha's Vineyard or other places. Uh, there's an attempt to censor anything that's designed to give a somewhat positive view of Donald Trump's rights. It's McCarthyism, but it's worse than McCarthyism because the people doing it are young, there are future, there are academics. Old McCarthyism was by old people who are at the end of their careers. This new McCarthyism is by young people who are just starting out and in 20 years will be in Congress, in the editorial boards of the New York Times, and in the Oval Office. Professor, make it make some sense. And I know that's a that's a tough ask here, but but what, I mean, we have had differences. I mean, I, I know conservatives like me who despised Barack Obama and everything that he stood for and everything that yeah. he did. I know there were those who felt the same way uh, on the flip side about Ronald Reagan. The, the, nobody, of course somebody did, but for an entirely different reason, tried to assassinate President Reagan. But my right. point is, what is it about Donald Trump that drives these people beyond just, it's the leader of the other party and I disagree with his platform, I disagree with his policies. What drives them to this state of almost insanity? Because he's provocative and he fights back. I'll, I remember when Barry Goldwater was running for president and a bunch of psychiatrists got together and said he was uh, mentally ill and nobody should vote for him. They got disciplined by the American Psychiatric Association. A new rule was was provided, but that's about as far as they went with Goldwater. People, you remember the ad with Goldwater, he's going to blow up your children. It was a picture of a young girl playing with a flower, and she suddenly disappears in a hydrogen bomb. So people were very scared. People were scared of communists when I was growing up during the McCarthy period, but I have never, ever seen anything like this. This idea that Trump is so bad that we can violate the Constitution. Put it another way, the framers of the Constitution weren't smart enough to write a Constitution that can deal with Donald Trump. We have to take extra constitutional measures. We have to figure out ways of distorting the Constitution to go after Donald Trump. The latest was today. 
the district attorney of Fulton County, I couldn't believe it when I heard it, said she wants to bring this case to trial within two months. Never in the history of the world has a case so complex with 19 defendants, with multiple counts, been brought to trial not in two months, not in four months, not in six months, not in eight months, not in 10 months. But she wants to bring this case to trial in two months. It's a rush to injustice, and nobody cares. A group of law professors and judges wrote an amicus brief in the case involving the District of Columbia saying we want the trial to be conducted before January 2nd. You know why? The goal is this. Get Trump convicted before the election. Oh, sure. The convictions will probably be reversed on appeal, but that won't happen until after the election. So let's get him convicted before the election. Let's rush to injustice. Let's make sure that he's denied a fair trial. He'll get convicted. Sure, he'll get convicted in the District of Columbia, 96% anti-Trump. Sure, he'll get convicted in New York. They would convict the ham sandwich. Probably. (laughs) Professor, let me jump in there. We're getting a little break up anyway on the connection, but this is a perfect time. We'll take a time out here. I want to come back and talk more about justice and more about whether or not Donald Trump can get anything resembling a fair trial in any of the four cases against him. We'll continue with Professor Dershowitz on America First. I'm Seb Golka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France. All right, Dr. G, thank you. 33 minutes past the hour now. We've got one more segment with Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz. Spent five decades teaching young lawyers at Harvard. He's now writing books, among other things. Get Trump is his latest. And we're talking about uh, how they're trying to get Trump in a different kind of a way. Well, actually, this is exactly what the intent is. Uh, so, Professor Dershowitz... Um, you mentioned 96% left-wing Democrat uh, jury pool to choose from in Washington, D.C. It's probably pretty close to that in Manhattan. And in Fulton County, I think they went for Biden 75%. Can he get a fair trial with a tainted left-wing jury, a tainted left-wing prosecutor? And I don't even know what kinds of left-wing judges that might be presiding over these uh, cases. Well, in my book, Get Trump, I go through each of the trials. It's actually a primer on the four cases. And I conclude that the weakest case, the weakest case is New York. It's not even a case there. Uh, Paying hush money, you know, it's what Alexander Hamilton did. And nobody asked him to put it in a corporate form. It's an absurd case, but it's New York. It's Manhattan. The case should be moved to a county outside of New York City, which is purple. Um, uh, Washington is... happen, right? Well, no, you never know. And that's usually mandamusable. That is, if you make a motion for a change of venue and it's denied... Sometimes the courts will allow that to be appealed. So I think that's a realistic possibility. The judge is not going to do it, but maybe a court of appeals will do it. And in Washington, D.C., again, uh, there's no county in the United States which is more anti-Trump than the District of Columbia. And all you have to do is move it over the border uh, to uh, Virginia or to West Virginia, and, and you could get a much more mixed jury. Uh, the the Florida jury pool is probably fair. It's uh, in the Palm Beach area, and it's probably fairly mixed. And Fulton County is, as you said, about 75, uh, 25. Of course, there are efforts to try to move at least Trump's case and Meadows' case from the state court to the federal court. And the issue there is whether or not what they did was within their authority. Now, the question is whether getting reelected is within the authority of the president. I have to tell you, presidents always want to get reelected, and they use the Oval Office as a road to getting election. And, of course, they use the chief of staff in an effort to try to get reelected or to try to uh, serve a second term. 
But that will come up this Monday, apparently, and, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, so far, my predictions have all turned out to be accurate. I think it was Mark Levin who called me a Nostradamus of lawyers because I don't make predictions based on wishful thinking. In my book, every one of the predictions I made, and get Trump, every one of the predictions I made has come true because I make these predictions based on my 60 years of experience, not based on what I hope will happen. Whereas in CNN, virtually every prediction their pundits make turned out to be wrong. I'm hoping to have a program someday where all the CNN experts' predictions are put <laughs> in the show, and then we see what really happened. And then you ask yourself, why am I watching this? These guys don't know what they're talking about. Oh, I love it. That would be phenomenal. I would I would even subscribe to watch a show like that. Uh, so, Professor, g- given given everything you just said, and, and in D.C., by the way, I, I think a number of January 6th defendants who have been tried have made motions for a change of venue, and they've all been denied, because I think the judges there know full well if they go somewhere else and get a fair trial and are acquitted, then it might actually mean that some others that, are, that have been railroaded in D.C. should have been acquitted as well. So I don't think that's going to happen. All well, of that being ha- added up, go, uh, real quick on the question, all of those things being added up, Professor, he's facing over 100 different charges in the four different uh, sets of indictments. Um, he's going to be convicted of a few things, isn't he, simply because of what we're talking about with the tainted jury pools and so forth. So, so what does that mean if he's convicted of even a few things regarding his electability? I think very little. It strengthens his poll numbers among Republicans, We don't know what impact it has in the general election. That will depend a little bit also on what happens with the investigation of Hunter Biden and whether it points to uh, President Biden. There should be a special counsel appointed in that case. There is one on the classified material, but there is not one looking at the Burisma, looking at the China, looking at all these other issues that should be the subject of a special counsel. So. You know, the terrible thing about the 2024 election is going to be which side is the worst criminals. It's not going to be about the economy. It's not going to be about the borders. It's not going to be about foreign policy. It's going to be as who are the worst criminals. And that's not what an election in America. Do you trust like. do you trust the attorney, attorney general of the United States, Professor? Well, I, I used to trust him uh, very much. I liked him. I supported him for the Supreme Court. I remember him. You know, he was a student at Harvard Law School. Uh, he had a terrific reputation. I think his decision to appoint uh, the same person to be special counsel and Hunter Biden was a serious mistake. Yeah, you know what? I completely concur, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to find uh, a lot of people are saying that are going to have it proven right uh, in the coming weeks and months. Professor Alan Dershowitz, the new book is "Get Trump." Make sure you get that book, Professor. Thank you for coming on America First. Okay, so I'll stop it there because you got the key. You got the uh, key information. Uh, so that conversation happened yesterday with the, with uh, the professor on America First with Dr. Gorka. You heard him, uh, and I want to give you a little bit more information on what he was talking about with respect to that New York Times op-ed. I mean, first first and foremost, his concern over the potential of an assassination attempt of Donald Trump is very, very um, eye-opening, uh, and it's alarming. And as he pointed out on that island on Martha's Vineyard there, he said, if he came here, he'd, he'd be killed, and whoever did it would be a hero to the rest of the people there. That's one small par- portion of it, but this this is, I think, indicative of um, the bigger picture Trump derangement syndrome, the Trump get Trump you know mentality, which of course is what led to him to choose his book title. 
Uh, but but this is kind of indicative of the feelings of the radical left across the country. Now, that doesn't mean every leftist would be uh, you know homicidal and 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 be willing to to try to assassinate a former president and current presidential candidate. But there are are some among that crowd that might. That's what the professor's you know stance was there. And and in addition to that, then there's the well, if we can't stop him from winning an election, then we just need to stop elections altogether. This article that he held up the headline for me on uh, uh, in that conversation yesterday, which was also done on video, this article uh, in the New York Times was headlined, and this is on their op-ed page, so this is approved by their opinion editors, okay? Its headline originally was, Elections are bad for democracy. Did you let that sink in? Elections are bad for democracy, which is just, it's probably still not sunk in, right? Because what are you talking about? Isn't that what democracy demands? Is elections, free and fair elections? Democracy is the practice of holding elections, which is what, of course, is at the center uh, corner, uh, the center, uh, is the centerpiece, rather, or the cornerstone, take your pick, uh, of our representative republic. We get to elect our leaders to represent us legislatively, and then, of course, uh, from the executive standpoint, that's what the process of democracy gives us our uh, power. And the New York Times ran this piece called Elections Are Bad for Democracy. But after the blowback began because of the obvious, what I just described, a lot of people said in a lot more harsh terms, they changed the headline to, and this is what it stands at now on the New York Times webpage, the worst people run for office. It's time for a better way. That's the new headline. From elections are bad for democracy to the worst people run for office. It's time for a better way. And quite clearly, they are speaking of Donald Trump. They're very clearly concerned that he could get back into power and, and, and you know, essentially the entire country would sink into the ocean, I suppose, uh, based on their over, you know, melodramatic uh, interpretation of things. But it's what's contained within the article that is really, really important and interesting. If we want public to, a public office to have integrity, they write, we might be better off eliminating elections altogether. If you think that sounds anti-democratic, think again. The ancient Greeks invented democracy, and in Athens, many government officials were selected through sortition, a random lottery from a pool of candidates. In the United States, we already use a version of a lottery to select jurors. What if we did the same with mayors, governors, legislators, justices, and even presidents? I floated the idea of sortition with a number of current members of Congress, writes the the New York Times op-ed writer. Their immediate concern is ability. Well, how do we make sure that the citizens chosen randomly are capable of governing? In ancient Athens, people had a choice about whether to participate in the lottery. They also had to pass an examination of their capacity to exercise public rights and duties. In America, imagine that anyone who wants to enter the pool has to pass a civics test, the same standard as immigrants applying for citizenship. We might wind up with leaders who actually understand the Constitution. The most dangerous traits, and I'm I'm picking parts of this so it's not in, in order, The most dangerous traits in a leader are what psychologists call the dark triad of personality traits, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. In other words, he's saying, 
um, that the presidents that they don't want, like Donald Trump, are psychopaths. Hence, psychopathy. What these traits share is a willingness to exploit others for personal gain. People with dark triad traits tend to be more politically ambitious. They're attracted to authority for its own sake. But we often fall under their spell. In a study of elections worldwide, candidates who were rated by experts as having high psychopathy scores actually did better at the ballot box. In the United States, presidents assessed as having psychopathic and narcissistic tendencies were more persuasive with the public than their peers. And now you get into what they're actually trying to say. So eliminate voting, says the New York Times. Take your vote away. That most important right granted to you by the Founding Fathers by way of the Constitution. They say, quote, eliminate voting and candidates with dark triad traits would be less likely than they are now to rise to the top. Of course, there's also a risk that a lottery would deprive us of the chance to select a leader with distinctive skills. At this point, that's a risk we're willing to take. Um, friends, you, you think we're joking when we talk about the threat to the, to the entire republic. We're not. Alan Dershowitz is not. I'm not. Those who read this article and have been just aghast at the suggestion uh, are not joking. And here's why. This wasn't just uh, shared with a couple of other idiots in some pot-smoke-filled pot room, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, uh, left-wingers at a, at a, you know, at a, in somebody's basement smoking weed and saying, we should get rid of, we should get rid of the, the elections, man. No, this ran in the New York Times. The New York Times, for all of its flaws and all of its bias, is influential enough to have an effect on some readers. The mainstream press plays a role in fomenting the anti-capitalist free republic, representative republic that we are. And that's exactly what this does. It's an attack on democracy, which the left always claims that they support. But they're saying that giving people the right to cast free election cast cast votes in free elections is is anti-democratic and sadly this will this will hit some people and they'll say yeah and they'll start lobbying and they'll start talk, start talking to con- uh, congressional members about how what we can do to uh, implement such a system all right uh that's a lot of information in one hour of broadcasting we're going to take a time out here top of the hour news is coming and then i want to hear from you 216-901-0945-888-281-1110 your calls after the top snc.tv the secular crew thanks the whistleblowers but if without the courageous actions of these whistleblowers let me tell you something these whistleblowers we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two. Thanks for being with us on this Friday. It's a free-for-all Friday. i got plenty of time for your phone calls at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. But... I do want you to know on this 25th morning of the 8th month in the year of our Lord 2023 that we have added a guest. Uh, coming up here in about a half an hour, we're going to talk with the Secretary of State of the State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, who has become enemy number one of the radical abortion lobby in the state of Ohio and those responsible for the constitutional amendment that is going to be on the ballot for you to decide 
on November 7th. Uh, we all know the story by now. We failed in uh, uh, earlier this month to raise the threshold for the constitutional amendments to pass to be 60%, so it's simply a 50% plus one. And now that ballot goes forward, that ballot amendment uh, goes forward, uh, with the language that has been approved by the ballot board. This had to be approved by the ballot board, uh, and it has been. It has been certified now also by the Ohio Attorney General. This is how it will read on issue one. Now, before I give you, uh, and by the way, it has also been called issue one. This is something that's a little bit complex and could be a little bit confusing. As you know, in the campaign prior to the August 8th special election, um, it was, you know, those of us who wanted to raise the threshold to 60%, we, you know, uh, we uh, encouraged a yes on issue one vote. Yes on one, yes on one, yes on one. Those who love abortion and mutilating babies and, and allowing children to be mutilated without their parental consent in a, in a bizarre and, and, uh, futile effort to change their sex. Yeah, yes, said what I said. They were screaming no on issue one. Well, now we reverse. Now, issue one on the November 7th ballot is this abortion on demand amendment, and we are telling everybody no on issue one. It's what we tried to get through to people um, prior to the other election that, you know, you vote yes in August and no in November. And uh, the, the first one didn't work, but now it's a little bit easy for us. Let's put the no back in November. Let's make sure we vote against issue one so that we do not allow abortions on demand for any baby at any point, at any stage of gestation, viable or not, et cetera, et cetera. This is what we're dealing with. So anyway... <clears throat> The left is beside itself. They're furious with this language. Now that the Ohio Ballot Board has approved the language yesterday afternoon, and they've gotten a look at it, they are furious. They're calling it rife with misleading and defective language. Key among the opponent's objections is language developed by Secretary LaRose, um, who is an abortion opponent, as you know, he's pro-life, amid warnings that the language could face legal challenges even before the proposal goes before the voters in November, and it probably will. But uh, I would expect, since this has been certified by both the Secretary of State and by the Attorney General, it will go nowhere in a court challenge, because all it does is, well, use language that people will understand. Among the language that they are angry about, the word fetus has been changed throughout the entire ballot language uh, to unborn child. To which, of course, I say, of course it's an unborn child. What do you think it is? And a fetus, it, fetus is, is simply a, um, a Latin word uh, meaning uh, offspring. Fetus means offspring. That is your child, preborn. Okay, They could have put preborn child, which I think would have been even better. But they said unborn child, so the the pro uh, death cult should be thankful for what they got. It also changes throughout the language of the uh, of the amendment that will be on the ballot that people can read before they cast. Shall the amendment be uh, be approved? Yes or no votes. They also changed pregnant patient, which is the leftist death cult's attempt at saying that men can be pregnant too. They changed it from pregnant patient to what it should be pregnant woman that is something that they're really furious about as well the entire summary said lauren blovelt co-chair of ohioans united for reproductive rights also known as the baby killers 
Uh, see, I'm I'm a little bit more like Lizzie Marbach, just FYI. She pointed out to the Ohio Right to Life when they hired her that she was going to be a little bit more aggressive in her language because we have to call out evil for what it is, and that's what I do. At any rate, the amendment that is put forward is uh, clear about reproductive freedom and reproductive health care decisions that Ohioans should be able to make for themselves, and that is ultimately what the vote in November will be about. Uh, so let me uh, let me give you the language. Issue one, a self-executing amendment related to relating to abortion and other reproductive decisions. Proposed constitutional amendment. The proposed amendment would establish in the Constitution of the State of Ohio an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. Create legal protections for any person or entity that assists a person with receiving reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. And by the way, let me pause there to say one of the reasons they're so upset is in their initial proposal for the amendment, their language was every individual, every individual has a right uh, to make and carry out one's own uh, reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on, one, contraception, two, fertility treatment, Three, continuing one's own pregnancy, which is a fancy way of saying what we'll get to in number five. Four, miscarriage care, and five, abortion. They think they want people, they, they're gaslighting people into thinking that the whole issue isn't about abortion, that it's about all of these different forms of care uh, uh, in the reprodu- reproductive process. So what they did in the language that is actually going to be on the ballot when you go to vote in November, or hopefully earlier, uh, what they're going to do is uh, they've changed it to uh, just straight-up abortion, because that's what this is about. It's not about fertility treatments or any other crap. Um, number three, prohibit the citizens of the state of Ohio from directly or indirectly burdening, penalizing, or prohibiting abortion before an unborn child is determined to be viable unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least restrictive means. Catch that? Unborn child instead of fetus. Four, grant, uh, grant a pregnant woman's treating physician the authority to determine on a case-by-case basis whether an unborn child is viable. Five, uh, only allow the citizens of the state of Ohio to prohibit an abortion after an unborn child is determined by a pregnant woman's treating physician to be viable, and only if the physician does not consider the abortion necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. And six, uh, always allow an unborn child to be aborted at any stage of pregnancy, regardless of viability, if in the treating physician's determination the abortion is necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. And, of course, that's where the evil comes in, because health, as you know, can be uh, can be you know written any way that one wants. You know, emotional health, mental health, financial health, as far as we know. Oh, my, you know, my husband lost his job now. We really can't afford this baby. I know I'm due to deliver next week, but I uh, can't afford it, so uh, let's, uh, let's dice it up. Uh, I mean, seriously, when they leave it to health, it is just such a wide-open interpretation. And, of course, the language that changes everything from fetus to unborn child is enormously important. And changing pregnant person or pregnant patient to pregnant woman uh, is also something that's very, very important. So this is a a good step forward. And I'm uh, very appreciative of of, uh, Secretary Frank LaRose for getting this through and approved by the ballot board 
to be this way. And we're going to talk to him about it at 1035. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so let's go to uh, Sally and Bria. Sally, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Um, I an example. Well, I'm expanding on your analogy with the bananas. The four bananas are for President Trump. But I also want to expand the bananas to a bunch because of all the supporters and his associates that are being prosecuted. The ones on trial now and some of the January 6th people that, you know, all they did is walk in with um, at the invitation of the Capitol Police. And anybody that's supported him that has gotten blowback. And then beyond the bunch, I want to expand it to a plantation because it affects every single one of us legal citizens because our civil rights are being <clears throat> abrogated. Mm-hmm. So the whole Banana Republic plantation is on the line, and I don't even want to call it a republic because we're losing that designation. We're more turning into a mobocracy and anarchy. And they are trying so hard to, since we've been treading water ever since Biden's administration took over, we've been treading water and they're trying to get waves to submerge us. So we're hanging on by a thread and I will continue to fight no matter what, uh, as long as there's breath left in me. But I'm sorry to be so negative, but that's how I look at this situation and it's time to take action. Thanks a lot, Bob. All right, Sally, you're not being negative. Thank you for the call. You're being realistic. You're being honest in your interpretation and understanding of this, and that's what we all do. It's why I spent the first hour doing it the way that I did it, slowly and methodically explaining all of the threats to the republic. And, yes, uh, it is a banana republic, or it will be if we end up locking up, convicting and locking up the leader of the opposition party that is trying to take power from the incumbent who is driving all of that through the weaponization of the Department of Justice. It is a banana republic, and I love your extension of the analogy to other other areas. Uh, and it is negative, but it's reality, like I said. I don't think your intent is negativity. Your intent is to face the reality uh, that we have before us, and uh, and I completely concur. Uh, well done. Uh, Laura in uh, Wadsworth. Laura, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Fire away. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, um, Laura. I was, can you hear me okay, Bob? Yep, I got you. You're loud and clear. Okay, okay great. I called in last week and talked about the Attorney General Yost, um, how during a meeting at uh, a GOP meeting in Strongsville last week, he told me he did not have the authority to investigate. What oh, yes, yes. I got your email as well, okay. yes. Okay, great. Good to know. Um, I also gave a book to Marcy to give to you. Um, I received uh, it yesterday, like, actually. Yeah, I, I picked okay, that up yesterday. Cool. So, uh, and I appreciate. It. In fact, is it right? It's. I think it's on my. It's somewhere on my counter. Uh, it's right here on my, yeah. my console. I mean, it's not uh, a long read, Bob. I hope you get an opportunity mm-hmm. to read it. I would highly recommend that your listeners read that book. Um, Edward by Edward Dowd called called Cause Unknown. Right. Um, I wanted to let you know what happened this week. Uh, I attended an Ohio Freedom Fighters meeting that's held in Medina. Mm-hmm. And there was a gentleman there named Jack Hall who presented some educational, uh, an educational session on the original intent of our Second Amendment. Jack is uh, currently our deputy sheriff here in Medina County, and he's running for Lorain County Sheriff in 2024. So I asked him about Yost's authority. 
And he said that, indeed, Yost does not have the authority to investigate these types of issues. Um, Jack did offer to help me, which I'm very hopeful about. Um, and evidently, the authority of attorney generals differ by state. Uh, for instance, Attorney General Ken Paxton of Texas, he's launched an investigation into what appears to be major fraud by both Pfizer and Moderna in mis- misrepresenting their COVID injections as safe and effective. But he was impeached soon after starting that investigation. Yeah, yeah, there, right? he, yeah. There for a, for a variety of other reasons, and I know, I know that's uh, that's a very controversial situation down there in Texas with what they charged him. Right. With. Uh, but you know, there's some right. corru- corruption issues and things like that, or at least what they are trying to make look like corruption. But but what you're saying sure. about Attorney General Yost is kind of what I suspected. Um, and and I don't know exactly how the rules uh, vary in the different states that you're talking about, but. It, it, it would seem to me, and I did this just simply by by logic, not necessarily the knowledge of of all of the rules of the power and the authority of the attorney general. But the attorney general, being the you know in charge of of justice of the state, can indeed investigate uh, allegations of injustice. But those things need to be brought forth. In other words, a case needs to be brought forward before somebody uh, in his position can say, "Okay, here's some evidence that might lead us to think." Um, there is a very serious uh, uh, challenge to justice going on here. And uh, in order to get to the bottom of that, I want to launch an investigation. But to do it simply because I'm sitting here in my AG office, and I think there's a lot of real questions about why Ohioans are dying, so I want to launch an investigation into the causes of those things to see if the shots are to blame, etc. I just don't think he can do that. It's within his purview to just say, on my own, absent a complaint or a criminal case brought forth, I just didn't think, again, from my own, uh, you know, vantage point, uh, not knowing what the AG's powers are, I didn't think he'd be able to do that. Okay, let me share this information with you because this may change everything. Okay. There's an here? organization called, call, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I, I'm, I just wanted to clarify, okay. this might change everything here in the state of Ohio? Well, in every state in the nation. Oh, all right. There's Go an ahead. organization called the National American Renaissance Movement. And they are presenting vaccine crime evidence to every state governor, state AG, county prosecutor, and every sheriff's offices in every county throughout our nation. So far, they've presented evidence to Florida, Idaho, and New Jersey. Um, I pray that Ohio is next. I've been in contact with a gentleman who's, who's uh, heading this up. Um, they are the crimes that are included and are not limited to murder, racketeering, fraud, domestic terrorism, bioweapon offenses, and treason. Okay. So hopefully Ohio will be one of the next ones that this information will be presented to. I um, And again, this is just first blush reaction without looking at, looking at it or into it at all. I, it would seem to me that... Um, the fourth one would be the most um, important one, and maybe the third one. I think the third one you read was domestic extremism, and the, the fourth one was bioweapons. Um, I think murder is probably a bridge too far because I don't think they created them with an intent to murder, but they created them with a complete indifference to whether or not this would kill. Uh, so, Well, the murder, I think, has to do with the hospital protocol. <clears throat> uh, and explain what went that. on with, with patients. Well, with patients that were denied early treatment, patients that were given uh, remdesivir when they knew that that was causing problems, patients that were put on ventilators when they knew that the outcomes were, um, 
you know, I think 80% yeah, chance yeah. that and, and die again, once they and this is, yeah, And I, this is why investigations need to be done, because I remember all of those things. Remdesivir uh, and, and people being put on vents and those who were dying as a result of those things. Well, that's the key. That's where the investigation need to be held, because causation is not necessarily, or I'm, I'm sorry, um, um, uh, correlation. Correlation, thank you. It's not necessarily causation because the number of people did die on remdesivir, the number of people did die and have their conditions worsened after being put on vents that they might not necessarily have had to have been, and there was a financial incentive to vent these individuals. Yes, okay. I think there's. that's why an investigation would be done. But, again, somebody needs to bring a cause of action, I would imagine, before the AG could get involved in such an investigation. Yeah. That's that's just again. That's the way I think. And and you know we're going to try. As a matter of fact, we have uh, been in contact with the attorney general's office a couple of times to talk about this. Uh, we're working very hard on getting them on, so we can try to get an understanding of what his powers are and the limitations thereof as this per- it pertains to the state of Ohio in these cases. But right. I agree with you, and I appreciate you sending the book over. I have not looked at it yet. I just literally picked it up yesterday, uh, but I do have it. Cause unknown by Edward Dowd, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you know what kinds of information is presented there. And I really appreciate you staying on top of it. You bet, Bob. I will, uh, I'll send another email to Marcy with uh, these points that I pointed out just so that you have those in front of you when you do talk Great. to AGOs. Great. Yep. I'd appreciate okay. that. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate right. it. It's 1026. We've got a timeout in front of us. We've got some news. Then we've got Secretary of State Frank LaRose. We're going to talk about the actual language of the issue uh, that is going to be on the ballot in November, uh, abortion on demand, and why the left is furious about the language that will be in front of them when they go. Life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on the answer. Okay, ten thirty-four. Always right radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We're going to be talking with uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose here in just a couple of minutes. If you uh, missed it, uh, and I know he's going to be limited, by the way, in some of the things he can say about this ballot language for the November uh, abortion on demand amendment. And let's call it what it is. It is abortion on demand at any time for any reason that the mother may declare. And all she's got to do is tell the doctor, my mental health is in danger and in jeopardy here. Get this thing out of me. Whether it's uh, survivable, viable or not, it doesn't matter. That's what the law will say. It also, and this is not included in the language. So, you know, it's not perfect, but I don't know that they're allowed to take the leaps from an individual uh, requesting, you know, uh, reproductive freedom or reproductive health care with making their own health, uh, reproductive freedom choices, if they can make that leap and put it in the language that, by the way, this would also mean that somebody choosing to become sterile and infertile by having a sex change operation, by taking cross-sex hormones uh, and subjecting themselves to even surgical mutilation of their genitalia and their reproductive organs, that, you know, this is something they would be able to do. Uh, I don't know if they can throw that in the language, but I think what they did do here is uh, is very important, and it's the right thing to do. And I'm told Secretary of State LaRose is on the line now, so let's welcome the uh, Secretary of the State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, back to our program, first time since the defeat of uh, Issue 1 back on August 8th. Uh, Secretary, hey, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Doing okay, thank you very much. Um, I wish we were. Uh, I wish we were facing uh, or had a little bit better odds. I should say on November seventh, but I am very, very glad to see that the ballot board yesterday did indeed confirm the language that will appear before the voters when they cast their votes. Can you tell us how that process went, Secretary LaRose? 
Yeah, so the Ohio Ballot Board, which I chair, has the responsibility of making sure that when the voters show up at their voting booth, that they have a clear summary of what's actually being considered. And in this case, we're talking about a change to the Ohio Constitution that would really um, make a dramatic impact on on the future of our state because it it creates what would be the most uh, extreme abortion amendment in the country. But the really pernicious part of this is it takes away parental rights. And again, you've heard me say this, Bob, but Lauren and I refuse to co-parent with the government or anybody else. Parents need to be involved in the life-changing decisions uh, that their children are making, and uh, and this, this strips that away. And so it's important that that language be clear and concise. And it's also, by the way, available for any voter to look at the full text of the amendment uh, if they want to. That's posted in every polling location. And uh, And so we accomplished our work yesterday. Uh, and did it in, in, in the right way to make sure that voters have that clear language in front of them when they go to vote this November. Yeah, I completely concur. It is it is important for everybody to see this. And, um, you know, the effectiveness effectiveness of the language here, uh, I think, cannot be under, or overstated because the leftists who are supportive of abortion on demand and what they call re- reproductive health or reproductive freedom are angry. They're angry with you. They call this entire thing propaganda. Uh, the uh, the way the language was changed. In other words, the word fetus was changed to the word unborn child. And I could not help but note and highlight the change in pregnant patient to pregnant woman throughout the language here because you're trying to be accurate so that the people who are going to cast votes on November 7th understand what they're voting on, right? Absolutely. And, and listen, the, the unfortunate thing is that they're probably going to file a lawsuit, so I've got to be a little bit careful about getting into some of the specifics of this because we'll be defending this now in the Ohio Supreme Court. But it's um, it's pretty clear what we're talking about here. Uh, they try to use these focus group tested uh uh, you know, bits of, uh, of language to, to try to mask what they're actually doing. But the, the word unborn child, uh, the phrase unborn child is used all throughout state law. I think everybody understands what an unborn child is. And, uh, and so that's clear. And, uh, again, uh, you know, in the history of, of, of humankind on this planet, only women have been pregnant, uh, as far as I can tell. And so for them to try to use, phrases like pregnant patient, it's just silliness. And so we've used the common language that people understand so that voters can see that on their ballot and, and hopefully make the right decision when they're, uh, when they're looking at that. Yeah, and Secretary LaRose, it's important, too, just that you cut right to the chase and in the language here, not, not you, but the ballot board that you chair, uh, in saying abortion, period, because they tried to like mask that as just one of a number of things that are related to reproductive freedom. In the full text of the proposed amendment, they say every individual has a right to uh, make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on contraception, fertility treatments, as if, you know, th- this was the, the, the message here. And they, do, they wait until they get to number five to say an abortion. And what you've done and the ballot board has done is just to cut to the chase and say, including but not limited to abortion, because that's what their goal is. Well, and let's be clear about what including but not limited to is. I mean, this is an incredibly expansive constitutional amendment. When you write constitutional amendments, and again, the the, the leftist lawyers from NARAL and Planned Parenthood and ACLU that wrote this knew exactly what they were doing. Every constitutional amendment will invariably be tested by, who knows, dozens, maybe hundreds of lawsuits over the years. They created loopholes in this constitutional language that you could drive a hay wagon through because they want to use this to eventually 
maybe open the door to underage gender transition without parental involvement. I mean, this is part of the left's ongoing effort to insert themselves between us and our children. And uh, again, it, it, it's ugly, uh, and people need to know what, what's actually being considered here. You know, and I'm so glad you said that. I was just getting into that commentary, but when you came on the line, and I was going to say that the one thing that I wish the language did was explain that it is not just limited to abortion. The language does say that, of course, but uh, I was I was kind of opining that you probably can't make that leap on the ballot language. You can't say, by the way, this also would include sex change operations because those uh, uh, dramatically impact uh, reproductive health. And this is a reproductive health freedom bill, as they call it, or amendment, as they call it. So, therefore, this is, you know, valid to put before the voters when they go and stand there and cast that ballot. But I, I guess there are limitations on that, right? Well, we believe that's what they intend to do with this eventually, but we don't want to do their work for them either by creating a precedent where we're saying that this, this is creating this, this right to something as ugly and, and really child abuse. Of allowing underage children to receive a gender transition surgery or whatever else, so we don't want to say that and then have a court uphold that that was the the the, the language that was accurate, and then all of a sudden we we've out actually now maybe done their dirty work for them, and so we had to be very careful about making sure that what we're stating on the ballot language is again what my duty is as the ballot board chairman is a true and faithful reflection of what's actually contained in in their amendment and. Uh, again, I believe that we did that. But it, uh, here's the other thing. If anybody wants to, they can read the full text of what's been proposed. Uh, it's available at every polling location. It's available on our website. And it's just about 250 words. But what they need to look for is the what I call the wiggle room uh, that the, the lawyers put in there, including but not limited to and, and that kind of thing. Again, they're creating some very wide open loopholes here or attempting to create in our state constitution the opportunity for this to be far more expansive than what they're saying publicly. Secretary LaRose, um, the uh, co-chair of Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights, Lauren Blovelt, I think Blovelt, uh, if I'm pronouncing correctly, cited Attorney General Yost certifying the original language, the original wording, as being fair and accurate. Uh, they're saying that that means what you are doing here is unfair and that you've changed that. Can you tell me where the AG is on, on the language that you and the ballot board certified yesterday? I can't speak for the AG on that, so I'm not going to. When a lawsuit is filed, which, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do, um, I'll be working closely with my lawyer, uh, Ohio's lawyer, the attorney general, to make sure that we defend this in, in the Ohio Supreme Court. So uh, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'll let Dave speak for himself. Uh, but what we wrote and put uh, as the ballot language is truth. Uh, it's truthful. It's uh, it's honest. And, uh, and again, I believe the court will reaffirm that uh, if this is challenged. So uh, on what basis might they file challenges against you? I know you are limited in what you can say, and maybe you can't even answer that, but what on what basis might they challenge the ballot board's language here? Oh, I think what they're going to try to do is, is say that it's misleading, uh, or that it uh, is, is biased to one side or another. Again, I don't think that saying unborn child versus fetus is misleading. I think everyone understands what an unborn child is. Um, I don't think that the uh, the language that we've used to talk about a pregnant woman instead of a pregnant patient is misleading. Uh, and so, you know, again, the court will the, the court will will side with us. I'm confident because what we wrote is a truth 
a truthful and, and fair description of what's actually been placed on the ballot for this November. Yeah, I, I would think so, too. And they, they get really angry because they don't like the idea of people uh, saying that I'm voting to allow babies to be killed. And that's why they don't want it. And that's why they're going to call it unfair and they're going to call it inaccurate. But it is. An unborn child or an unborn baby uh, is is exactly what a fetus is. In fact, fetus is is uh, uh, a Latin term for offspring, if I understand that correctly. And so we are talking about your offspring. And if you choose to end the life of your offspring before it is able to pass through the birth canal, that's exactly what it is. I don't understand what legal ground they would have uh, for changing fetus, which is a Latin term, to unborn child, which is the more commonly understood language that people should have as they go to cast a ballot. Well, exactly. And, and when you uh, when you run into a friend who's expecting, who's in that joyful time of life where they're expecting a child, they, they don't say, I'm about to have a fetus. They don't say, uh, you know, they said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be having a child. And, and, and so that's exactly what we're talking about. The left wants to cloak these things in, in this very soft and innocuous sounding language. And they want to talk about choice and reproductive freedom and, and those kind of things. But it's important that we be very clear about what we're talking about here, especially with the barbaric practice of late term abortion on demand all the way up through the end of pregnancy, which this very clearly opens the door for. They don't want to talk about the hard realities of what they're proposing here. They want to make it sound soft and, 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 uh, uh, and, and innocuous. I don't know if you're allowed to disclose the discussions on the ballot board. You know, you're the chair of the board, but was there any pushback on the eventual language that was voted on and settled on? You know, it's always a, a product of a lot of hard work by our team. Uh, we gather feedback from interested parties. That's our duty. We listen to uh, uh, folks on all sides of these issues. They all offer feedback. We receive that. And then my team sits down. We worked over the, the weekend and, and through last week on this uh, to write the language. We proposed it, um, and then we shared it with the members of the uh, of the of the commission uh, of the ballot board, rather. And so, you know, it, uh, it's always a topic of discussion among members of the ballot board, among interested parties. Uh, but it's interesting to note that um, nobody from the opposition came in to testify. Uh, they had the open forum yesterday in the Ohio ballot board to come in and offer opposing testimony if they wish to. They, they didn't avail themselves of that. So nobody came in to testify that this was bad. Uh, simply what they had was one two ballot board members on the Democratic side that uh, that proposed a different language, but nobody came in to testify on this, and I think that's telling as well. That is very interesting indeed. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised surprised by that. Um, so the, the, the ballot board, how many members are on that board? There are uh, three Republican members and two Democratic members. So one uh, Republican member representing the Speaker of the House, one representing, representing the state uh, Senate, uh, president, and then there's two Democrats representing the minority leaders of both. So, if there's so, that's, a, so uh, that's the total. If there is a legal challenge to this, time would have to be of the essence, I would imagine, before the ballots can be printed, uh, especially those who have to be mailed out, you know, absentee ballots and so forth, because uh, we're what? We're six weeks away-ish from uh, the start of early voting. I would imagine early voting is going to be right around September 7th, yes? Uh, well, so early voting for for uh, military and overseas voters starts 46 days before the election, so that'll be mid-September, and then late September, early October, uh, early October rather, would be when uh, absentee and early 7, voting yeah. begins for 
for everybody else. Yeah, so, yeah, so um, I that's, think I when, misspoke. that's when the process needs to be underway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I misspoke. I meant to say but, October but we're, 7th we're for the 30 days. Yeah. We're just weeks away from when we have to be able to send out ballots to our overseas and military personnel. So time of the essence here. If there is a lawsuit, uh, we're going to ask the court to expedite this because the boards of elections need to begin printing ballots very soon. Yeah. And that's uh, one of my chief concerns as the, as the person in charge of elections here in Ohio is to make sure that our boards of elections have adequate time to prepare for this November's election. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's exactly what I was wondering. The last thing we need is to spend more tax dollars on printing ballots that then have to be burned or shredded because uh, we, they, the you know, court challenge changed the language here. So hopefully we get that done sooner rather than later if a legal challenge is to come. Well, Secretary LaRose, uh, the uh, the left is angry, so that means you did your job. Uh, and I don't mean to be, you're not supposed to be partisan. <laughs> I, but I mean, I know you're pro-life, and that's one of the reasons you were so pro-issue one. Oh, you know what? One last question, speaking to that. Are you concerned with the confusion since this one has also been designated now as issue one? Because now now the two sides flip from where we were on August 8th. Yeah, it's just kind of the reality of how these things work. We tend to assign the issue numbers based on when they were filed with us. And the first issue that was filed with our office and approved for the ballot was this abortion anti-parent amendment. The second one that was filed with our office was the marijuana initiated statute or change to law. And so it makes sense to make them issue one and issue two. But this is important. This is why it's important for Ohioans to educate themselves on this um, and uh, and make sure that they're fully uh, aware of what they're actually being asked to vote on this November. That's that. That's very well said, and uh, and I'm and I'm glad to hear that. Um, I, I do I do understand it's difficult, and some people are going to go. Wait a minute! I thought I was supposed to vote yes on issue one. Well, that was that was last time, and now we just need to remind people who are pro life, and I know that you are. Uh, let's put the no back in November. No in November is what people need to realize if they really want to protect life. Uh, but I, I November, very good, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, put the no in November is the way I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to push it myself as I campaign for this thing, um, uh, or against this thing. I guess would be the better way to say that. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thank you for your good work on this. Congratulations to the ballot board for doing what I think is right to make this clear for the people who are going to be casting votes uh, on this thing on November seventh. And uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to be the voice of reason. Take care, Bob. You got it. Appreciate that very much. All right. Uh, that's Frank LaRose, uh, Secretary LaRose. You notice I did not ask him a bit about uh, his Senate campaign because this is not his role here. He's working. This is on the job. And the job here as Secretary of State is to make sure the ballot board comes back with the correct language, the proper language, the appropriate language, the legal language, so that people know what they're voting for on this uh, proposed abortion on demand amendment. The one thing, as you heard me say, and him, he, you know, he agreed. <clears throat> um, you know, you can't, you can't write every single eventuality in the in the unlimited, or excuse me, but not limited to portion of the uh, of the amendment. You can't say including but not limited to abortion and list all of these other things they could to, could do like sex change operations without parental support because of vague language describing the individual not the adult and so forth and what fertility drugs do or rather cross sex hormones do to fertility and so forth you can't put all that on there but that's what's going to be necessary for people to understand this is about more than just abortion on its face an, an abortion on demand amendment to the Constitution at any point in gestation should be defeated easily anyway by anybody with a conscience and anybody with a concern for life. But 
because this is written as vague as it is intentionally to allow those other things, it's going to take a massive ad campaign and a massive education campaign on the part of pro-lifers throughout the state to tell everybody what it also means. That this is an attack on children, this amendment is an attack on children, both pre-born and post-born. Pre-born babies would be able to be diced up in the womb, even after they're pain-capable, even after they are viable, even if they're a couple of days before the actual uh, birth is scheduled or is expected. And it's an attack on babies after they get out of the womb because as they grow up to be children and they're having their minds poisoned by teachers and daycare workers and influencers and so forth, trying to tell little boys that they should be little girls and girls they should be little boys. And yes, sadly, some warped, you know, trans housing uh, affected parents. And that's what I call them. That's what I, I, I actually know. I don't call them. That's what I'm going to start calling them because I saw that term in a tweet yesterday. Uh, a, a mother who clearly has Munchausen by proxy and is trying to force something raw to something to be wrong with her uh, with her daughter, giving him te- giving her testosterone treatments and forcing him her to call himself a sorry. You see what they do here? Forcing her to call herself a him and to uh, act male. Uh, so it's like Munchausen by proxy, and we're just going to summarize it with Transhausen because that's exactly what it is. But at any rate, those things um, are going to impact little kids, and then kids, as they get into adolescence or even pre-adolescence, saying, I want to start my puberty blockers before I go through puberty, and I want to start cross-sex hormones to become something else, and a parent can't stop them. You get that? The parents wouldn't be able to stop them because it would be a reproductive decision that is being granted to all individuals, not individuals over 18, just all individuals. Their own reproductive decisions are theirs and cannot be impacted by parents. So all of that stuff can't be in the language of the amendment. So therefore, we have to make sure there's a massive ad campaign. And let's hope and let's pray, literally pray, um, that there is enough of a coordinated effort that is much stronger and much earlier than the one that was put forth to, uh, to vote yes on issue one on August 8th. We didn't do enough. There was not enough. We talked about it in the weeks leading up to the to the uh, election, uh, the special election on August 8th. There was not nearly enough in terms of public ad campaigns on TV, on radio, online to tell people to vote yes and why. This time, we need to, we need to correct that mistake. All of that information needs to be included in the ad campaigns and on radio shows and so forth because we're not allowed to put it actually all of it in that amendment, which we just discussed. Okay, 1055, right back on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 10 minutes after, well, almost 10 minutes after 11 o'clock on this Friday. It's the 25th morning of the 8th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And we are uh, all still kind of aghast at what happened yesterday with President Trump uh, turning himself into uh, the uh, uh, the jail in Atlanta, being fingerprinted, being mugshotted, and so forth. And we are going to, and that's probably not a verb, mugshotted. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about that in uh, the Sebastian Gorka show. I'll be hosting for Dr. G again today from 3 until 6. This is a very, very serious threat to our republic. And I don't care if you like Donald Trump or not. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. This is a threat to our republic. So we're going to talk more about that this afternoon. For now, I want to pivot. Talk a little bit about criminal, uh, you know, the rise in crime, let's just put it that way, uh, in big cities across the country and in uh, metropolitan areas like Cuyahoga County. And what it takes to fight crime, what it takes to make the people safe. There's an organization called the Northeast Ohio Public Safety Foundation that is aiming to do exactly that. And uh, perhaps uh, one of the methods is by strengthening one of the most important law enforcement agencies in the county, which, of course, is the Sheriff's Department. Uh, Joining us now is Jonathan Petrea, Northeast Ohio Public Safety Foundation. Jonathan, good morning. How are you? Bob, how are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you coming on. I'm always talking about matters of crime, law and order, and so forth in the criminal justice system, and particularly uh, keeping our streets safer for our residents and uh, and visitors. And so let's uh, let's talk about law enforcement in Cuyahoga County, particularly as it pertains to the sheriff's office. I I, I before you came on at the end of the last segment, I. Uh, told everybody about the revolving door. Nine sheriffs have operated uh, in Cuyahoga County in the last 12 years, which is pretty astounding. Uh, Tell me what that means. So that lack of continuity was highlighted by Sheriff Hildebrandt, who is the sheriff of our neighboring county, Cuyahoga County. We did a press conference back on July 17th, and we had uh, eight eight sheriffs from uh, around Ohio. We're all elected, in fact, 87 of the 88 counties in the state of Ohio elect their sheriff, all for the exception of Cuyahoga County. Uh, sheriff Hildebrandt pointed out that the lack of continuity in the sheriff's office, and the, well, it's the sheriff's department because it's not a sheriff, an elective sheriff's office. <clears throat> but the lack of continuity affects cross-county operations. And when he doesn't have a good relationship with the sheriff because there's a new sheriff uh, almost just 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 a little bit more than every year mm-hmm. uh, as, as has been here in Cuyahoga County, it's really hard to conduct these cross-county operations. Uh, and, you know, you add Summit County, you add Medina County, you add Lorraine County, um, there's definitely some problems. So tell me why it has turned over as often as it has. Yeah. So, so this all happened when we changed from a council executive form of government, or, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, from a from a commissioner government right, to right. a council executive, and you know they modeled they modeled our government after Allegheny County, which is Pittsburgh, and after Summit County, which is Akron, and both of those actually elect the sheriff. However, they decided not to elect the sheriff in this case. Um, 
And that was a big mistake, and we're finding out. And my only hope here is that at some point, uh, you know, the framers, uh, the people who were part of it, the people who are currently on council and the current executive come to the realization. Actually, I know they've already come to the realization. We'll get to that in a minute. But they need to change the fix. The, they need to fix the broken system because uh, it really does affect every single person in Coyote County. It really does. Uh, it impacts everybody. And so what is the proposed solution to this? Um, you know, obviously, it's it's not, you know, continuity or lack of continuity, as we're talking about, lack of stability uh, in the department is certainly something that can impact everybody in Cuyahoga County. Like I said, not just those who live there, but those who visit there and need protection and need uh, to make sure the streets are safe and secure, particularly if I might say in Cleveland, where uh, you know, uh, the police force, of course, is so badly understaffed. I'm sure you're following that. There are hundreds and hundreds of officers under budgeted amount. Uh, they do not have enough cars on the streets to patrol. And certainly sheriff uh, uh, support uh, from the sheriff's office would be, you know, would be paramount of paramount importance in the city of Cleveland. But but countywide, um, you know, how do we how do we bring continuity and stability in the name of safety for the people who live there and the visitors? So the fix is we need to elect a sheriff. Um, that can happen one of two ways. Uh, county council has the ability to pass a resolution by an eight to three vote to place a charter amendment on the ballot, making the, the sheriff an elected position. The people would vote on it. Uh, it requires the people's vote or we have to collect signatures. And it looks like the latter is going to be, uh, the fix here because we're going to have to collect 42 but it's about 42,000-plus valid signatures to get to, to place this on the ballot. Now, there are two people on an 11-member council that support this. Mike Gallagher, he's a Republican, and Patrick Kelly, he's a Democrat. Uh, this is a bipartisan uh, uh, fix. If you ask most people on the street, regardless of what their party affiliation is, they understand that the sheriff has to be elected. Uh, some are surprised that we don't elect our sheriff, and some people basically don't know that we're not electing our sheriff. So this is why we brought up this initiative. We want to uh, start the conversation. Uh, we want to make it known that there's a problem and it needs to be fixed. And, um, you know, I think we got some really good coverage on our press conference, and, um, you know, we had some really good coverage on it and some really good feedback from people of all strikes throughout Cuyahoga County. We're talking to Jonathan Petraea, Northeast Ohio Public Safety Foundation. So the process to be, you know, to to change the sheriff's position from an appointed to an elected position is what? I mean, it sounds like it's something that isn't just done very quickly and easily. Yeah, it's a charter amendment, so we would have to gather signatures. Uh, like I said, it's uh, forty-two thousand plus in order to get on the ballot, or you know, the county council can actually. Uh, vote uh, on a resolution by an eight to three vote to place it on the ballot. Now they don't have any. Do all, do all the signatures have to come within the county? They all have to be from Cuyahoga County. That's correct. Yeah, it's all, interesting all to me just because of what I was saying. Yeah, it's just interesting to me because of what I was saying. You know, particularly in a county like Cuyahoga County, we have the epicenter of the metropolitan region. You know, the city of Cleveland, and you have so many people who don't live in the county, but are impacted by uh, safety and you know uh, uh, um, uh, 
number of officers, whether it be police or sheriff, that can protect and serve them uh, as they are in the in in Cuyahoga County, and particularly in Cleveland. So it's I thought maybe they might expand that a little bit, but I guess not. Yeah, and you know another problem, Bob. Um, there's probably, from what I know of, as of December twenty second of twenty twenty, because uh, our newspaper, the Plain Dealer, published a number of people who filed lawsuits against the county as a direct result of the mismanagement of the jail because we don't have an elected sheriff. Uh, so it's 27 plaintiffs against the county. So far, $5.5 million uh, in settlement uh, to about 15 plaintiffs. And so now you have, uh, you have a balance of people that haven't been litigated yet or maybe some have been settled. Uh, it's, I, I'm not really sure because I did a public records request and um, – uh, as you can probably imagine, um, you know, they haven't been so forthcoming with me. So uh, so there's a financial, there's a fiscal issue with it. There's a public safety issue with it. And the thing about it is, you know, our county executive, Chris Ronay, knows. The members of council know. And uh, just when they, were, when they were vetting the current sheriff, who was just recently appointed, here were some of the questions that were asked. What if there's a conflict about what you think is proper and right in your department and might be different from what the executive envisions, for for example, if there's a misconduct? So you can already see right there, she knows that if there's a, there's a, a dispute between the sheriff and, and the executive, well, how, how are you going to handle it? And that's been probably, that's been one of the biggest problems in the continuity of the sheriff's office. Then she, she uh, this is Sonny Simon, then she asked, would it be annoying to you to have a, to report to someone who is not in law enforcement and an executive who does not have the knowledge or the vision that you have? And this executive, and it's not in particular our current executive, um, but experience, they are telling you what they think is right. And um, would that be annoying to you and make you put your hands up in the air and quit? This is really the crux of the problem. That she literally just identified the problem but yet refuses to fix the problem. And then she says, in relation to your job, um, having accountability to this body, meaning the, meaning the council and the executive, how far does your independent, how far does the independence of your job go? They don't want an independent sheriff is what, what they're saying, Bob. They want to micromanage the sheriff, and that is broken government. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. We're talking to uh, Jonathan Petrea. Yeah, we're talking. We're talking to uh, Jonathan Petrea. Jonathan, tell me a little bit more about the organization, Northeast Ohio Public Safety Foundation. I'd never even heard of it before you reached out to me and yeah. told me about this sheriff issue. I also had, did sure. not realize. I'm sure most of our listeners didn't either that there had been uh, you know nine sheriffs in twelve years, and that we have this problem. So, what else do you guys do? So um, we we put this together um, probably last October. And uh, our goal with it was to, uh, you know, weigh in on issues of public safety. Um, uh, one guy you may know, uh, Jim Trutko, uh, has done a lot of reports and a lot of data analysis about crime. And uh, we thought this was a good way to um, disseminate that kind of information. Uh, but, you know, it's it's. Re- the sheriff's issue has been one that has bothered me ever since uh, 2010 when, you know, they handed us this new form of government without an elected sheriff. And uh, after 2000, 
2018, 2019, when we had some really, really bad things going on in the jail uh, that literally led to uh, our jail being called the worst jail in America. Um, I thought this would be a really good platform uh, to put out, uh, you know, start the conversation and make the changes that need to happen to fix the system. Yeah, I would think so. I would think it's a it's a good way to go about it. Um, so, uh, do you have a lot of support? How many? How big is the foundation? So uh, we do have we do have some we do have great support. Uh, I just spoke with uh, the last elected sheriff, who is also the first appointed sheriff, and he was the first victim of the system. And I don't think that he would call himself a victim. I don't think he's a victim, but he was the first guy that um, that Ed Fitzgerald fired. Uh, because he didn't like him and he wanted to go in a new direction. And that started the domino effect um, from sheriff to sheriff to sheriff. Hey, uh, Bob, also, if, if I may, sure. uh, our website is www.electccsheriff.org. Uh, I would urge your listeners to come check it out. Uh, I would encourage your listeners to uh, hit the donate button and, and make a contribution. Uh, we do have a good level of support. Um, we just we just have to bring that critical mass together to make this happen. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, without your listening support. I don't know honestly. Uh, as as I listen to your presentation, uh, I, I I'm looking for the opposite side. I'm looking for the downside. Who you know why why would anybody oppose electing this uh, you know this position given the uh, you know the severity and the and the seriousness of of the situation? I I'm trying to figure out why anybody would be opposed to this. You ought to be able to get more than forty two thousand. Like I said, despite the fact that I think they ought to expand it to surrounding counties because people come into Cuyahoga County a lot. Um, but you ought to be able to get double that amount, I would imagine, uh, if people are actually being reasonable about this. If I may respond, there is no logical or reasonable explanation for opposing this effort. No one has been able to do it. Um, the framers, the the framers who clearly made a mistake, don't want to go back and admit that they made a mistake. Nobody that was involved in this wants to admit that they made a mistake. The evidence is there. Nine sheriffs, you know, multiple deaths in the jail at the direction. Well, there weren't deaths at the direction, but because of the directions of the executive who wanted to make the jail profitable and just didn't have a plan to do it, had somebody executed. And you know what? He was never, he literally washed away without, without, washed his hands without being held accountable for it. You know? Right. Um, but there is no logical explanation. No one could do. No, no one can. Ex, no one can explain why it should remain this way. Yeah. Other than for the for the for the for the political class to maintain control over the sheriff and maintain their power. I think that's, that's very. I think that's very well said, Jonathan Mitrea, uh, uh, Northeast Ohio Public Safety Foundation. Uh, give that website again. Elect CC Sheriff. Yep. So it's www electccsheriff.org.org. There you go. That's what they needed to complete it. Jonathan, thank you. I appreciate you uh, uh, letting us know about this. Hopefully there can be some action uh, taken, get some signatures on, and get this thing moving because uh, it simply is too common sensible not to. And, uh, and I thank you. thank you so much for the time.
Thanks for your time, Bob. I really appreciate it. All right. You got it. Have a great day. Thanks, Jonathan. That's Jonathan Petrea. Uh, we'll take a time out now. It's 1125. We've got time for more phone calls on the other side, uh, all the way up until about 1145. So stay here and make that call now, 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1134, let's check in with BJ in North Olmstead. Hello, BJ, go right ahead. Thank you, Rob. I'd like to uh, make a couple comments, one about the president and one about uh, the issue of abortion. I think we should not uh, uh, talk about abortion referring to fetuses or babies. We should use the term aborting children. I think children would get people's more attention and make them aware that we are aborting future humans, children that are going to be men and women. You know, the ballot board, uh, BJ, the ballot board may have agreed with you because the language they are using in the official uh, amendment, which people will see as of right now, is unborn child. Not not baby, Great. unborn child, but and I may have, and I think I read it word for word, but I may have also referred to unborn babies, but uh, yeah, it says unborn child in at least one, two, three, four, five different places in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the that'll get people's language. attention. I believe. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. sharing that with me. Sure. I think what happened to Donald Trump is going to cause a revolution in the coming elections because now these parties are showing viciousness. And when you're having this kind of viciousness, sooner or later you're going to have guns being pulled out. And that's my major concern. What, what they did to Donald Trump, they're doing to people who will vote for a person they do not like. So anyone that they want to go after, and I think you've made the points of this before, and I hope you continue on that. They're after the public as well as Donald Trump. But it's an awakening period, and sometimes on our little planet, we need an awakening, and thank you for your time, and you're doing a great job, and I appreciate what you do. Thank you, well, Bob. Thank, thank you, BJ. I appreciate it. You know, like I've said many, many times about this, this is so much bigger than than Donald Trump. Uh, BJ's right, and and so is everybody else who said this is you know this is an attack on us again. If they can find a way to make him the boogeyman and railroad him into you know into a prison cell and into uh, uh, not being able to run for president again and so forth. Um, there is no check on their power then. Like, you understand what I mean? Not that, like, he is the only person who can, you know, can can check power. But the reality is that if they can do this to him in a position of his power and authority as a former president and as a leading candidate in the opposition party in the primaries, then there's nothing they can't do to you or me as a regular person. I hope that makes sense. There's nothing they can't do to us. They can do this to one individual. Uh, particularly one in his his situation, so that's why we have to. And like I said, you know, I, I've I have been very complimentary of and praising of Donald Trump for all of the things uh, for which he deserves praise and compliments. I have also held him to account for things that I think he needs to answer for, particularly warp speed and in uh, his continued stance on COVID nineteen. Uh, that means I'm not, uh, you know, a, a, a rear end kisser. I am not somebody who is not going to be critical of somebody simply because, uh, you know, he's, for any reason, I won't even say simply because, for any reason, I'm going to tell the truth always, and I'm telling you the truth now. 
I don't care if this was Donald Trump or if it was somebody else in this field, or quite frankly, even if it was a Democrat, if the circumstances were identical and they were trying to jail the, the leading contender and the other party to take uh, the leadership of the presidency and they were and they were twisting and bending the rules and weaponizing the Department of Justice to do that, I would be calling that a threat to our republic as well. This is about much more than one man. This is about what they're trying to do to a country and one man uh, being their... Uh, uh, you know, being the, the the tool with which they used to achieve it. Okay, Dan is in uh, Middleburg Heights. Hi, Dan. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I enjoyed your uh, your last interview. You know, on the subject of the sheriff in Cuyahoga mm-hmm. County, mm-hmm. and uh, it once again demonstrates to me, uh, learning a little bit of the history of what's going on in Cuyahoga County, which I disagree with. It shows how screwed up Ohio is <laughs> and how they do things, and so inconsistent throughout the state. Since we uh, appoint the sheriff, and what did you say, 84 counties don't, or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he said Jonathan brought that information up, yeah. Mm -hmm. At risk of boring you too much of your audience, but I always, for good government, I always go back to Thomas Jefferson. And before me, I have his draft. He drafted the Constitution originally for Virginia. And I'm quoting, he says, sheriffs of counties shall be annually elected by those qualified to vote for representatives. And no person who has served as a sheriff for one year shall be capable of being reelected in the same office until he's been out of office for five years. Now, in his world, everything is derived from the House of Representatives. The governor is appointed by the House, and so is the head of the counties. Okay? The, 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 excuse me. The head of the counties are appointed by the governor, who's appointed by the House. So the sheriff is reporting, essentially, down the line to all appointees, the House of Representatives. So if they screw up in the county, they're all, uh, you know... uh, you know, allegiant to the House of Representatives. So it keeps everybody in line, and you don't have executives and counties just not disliking somebody because they can't do that because they were originally appointed in the end by the House of Representatives. And therefore, you have continuity throughout the whole state. And that's Thomas Jefferson, not me. <laughs> All right. I appreciate the call, Dan. Thanks very okay. much. Let's go to uh, Charlie in Brownhill next. Hi, Charlie. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, hey Bob. Thanks for taking the call. I'm looking at this in the last several years. Biden keeps saying white nationalism is the most dangerous thing to our country. And it really just coming to look like they're setting another trap. They're trying to provoke Donald Trump to resist uh, going to jail or his supporters to resist. And I really believe it's a trap. They're trying to get us to, to make a step, a violent step, you know, a, a, a well, Ramaswamy said it's a, a coming national divorce we have coming. And it seems like they want us to make a step so that they can call national, like a, 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 a martial law or, 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 or suspend the election or something. It seems like they're not even planning on running. They're just going to try to take it. And this is what my biggest fear is because, you know, we are very angry. And violence could happen, like your last caller said. But this is, we can't be stupid about this. This is our republic, and and republics die this way. This is how they die, when they go against the opposition like this. Well, there's a number of ways that it, that it can die, and that is certainly one of them. You're right. Um, and you're also right, too, to be concerned about the idea of violence. Listen, 
if I was talking about this off the air uh, with with Seth actually, um, if if they lock him up, and and I, I've said this many times, there is a strong chance he's going to be convicted of some of the one hundred charges. The idea that he, that he goes one hundred and twelve and zero or whatever the number of accounts against him in each of these four separate indictments that he goes one hundred and twelve and zero and straight acquittal on all of them, it's slim to none. That doesn't necessarily mean he can't be president again. But if they do that and they literally sentence him to prison time, the former president and the would-be future president leading the uh, the party, uh, the other opposition party, as he would be and as he is, uh, and deny him the opportunity to take over and then have to essentially, I don't know what they would do, hold a new election or whatever. It would be the overturning of the will of the people in terms of the uh, uh, you know the electorate. If they did that, there are going to be people who take up arms and hit the streets. And we're not talking about just the, uh, you know, the fireworks, uh, you know, at the, at the police officers. We're not talking about the smashing of windows and such. We're talking about there's going to be an armed rebellion, I think. And I don't want this. I hope everybody understands. This isn't, here's what we should do if. I'm fearful that that will happen. And the reason I'm fearful of it, Charlie, is what you just said. You used two words that I used off the air in my conversation with Seth. They will respond, the party in power right now, with martial law. The, that, that's exactly what they will do, is they will declare martial law and turn the American military on the people in the streets um, in order to, quote-unquote, restore order and defend the republic and defend democracy and so forth. And then it's all on. And I'm not trying to be too overly dramatic here. It might sound like it, Charlie, but I think what you said is accurate, and I think it is a legitimate fear that people need to have, that if they continue to take the steps the steps they are, there's going to be a significant number of people who are going to try to do something about it physically uh, and not just at ballot boxes that they can't trust anymore, and that puts us all in grave danger. And, and republics die. And you look at... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.